Just completely letting go of the day, letting go of any thoughts that are pulling your mind, anything that you have to do, anything coming up next, just releasing all of that. Focus to the physical body. Start at the crown of the head and scan down. Let your awareness release tension and relax the body wherever you find you're tense or tight. Each time the mind bounces off somewhere else, just relax the focus, come back to your body, back to the present. However many times it happens, no big deal. 
And now bring your focus to your breath at the lower belly. No need to change it, just feeling the breath as it is. Nothing else is important. Not choosing to go anywhere else with the mind. Just deciding I'm going to be here right now. For the last few moments, bring your mind really clearly to the breath if it's not already. The most crisp, clear, calm, focused awareness you can manage. And once you have that fully and clearly, and releasing it, just relaxing, letting go, ending the meditation, starting to move. You can open the eyes, make a dedication.
What was our, what did we talk about with our homework? feeling discouraged. Wasn't there something else? Let me look through last week. I can't remember now either. I think I forgot about that the last few days, but I I did it first. Did you practice it? It was something I tried to. It was just so when I did think about it, it was just not that long. Mm. Yeah. I might, I'll have to, I'll have to go back to it and do it again. I did it a few times. And I think it was hard to, to think about it. One of the times that I remembered it, I'm like, on my way to work. Mm-hmm. You fell off of it? Yeah. Oh no! This was last week. <laughs> <laughs> Did it? Wasn't was last week when we had the when we talked about things you could do differently to get out of the dull? Yeah. Oh no! <laughs> <laughs> Why? What happened? Oh, so like other stuff happened and it kind of interfered in some way. Yeah. But I'm gonna get back on because I have been doing pretty good pretty good. Oh that's good. You can do it. You can get back on it. <laughs> Hopefully did I give you too much too many different options and then you just didn't want to do any of them? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. There's a part of me maybe that gets scared and gives up. Maybe. And gets discouraged? Yeah. That's what we were talking about last week. <laughs> just, oh. That's, that's timely. Mm-hmm. sounds like um, uncomfortable. 
like you want to work through those things, but it's really hard when you have to. Yeah. I think there's a point where um, I find meditation to be like, it's like the constant in my life. You know, like, so it kind of, when things feel really weird, that is like the stable thing that's always there. And so it, at a certain point, it's like, it gets more strong when difficult things come up, you know? So if you keep if you keep going back to it, it'll get it'll get to that point I think where you'll go to it because it's like it is it's like a refuge, it's like a break from. I mean, unless you're doing like analytical meditation on those <laughs> yeah. afflictions coming up or whatever it is, but usually it's like a break, you know, like the seven limb prayer and all those practices or just shamatha. You'll get back on it. It'll be good. <laughs> all right so this is the third talk on the chapter on patience in the bodhisattva charyavatar so this is the bodhisattva's way of life patience joy and meditation wednesday may 29 and master shanti deva has been discussing hardships that we might have to do for the dharma that's what we were talking about that a bunch and he got to the point about Aryanagarjuna himself, the story of how he died. Um, this young prince was influenced by his mother to ask Master Nagarjuna for his head, and that's how he died, because he gave it to him, because he was a bodhisattva and he had to do it. And people say, if I have to do that, I can't be a bodhisattva, I can't do that. There's a story we've talked about, the classic story, you reach in and grab your eyeball and give it to somebody. So the question is, should we be discouraged by this type of thing? And we were talking about this last week, and then Master Shanti Deva is continuing on this week. And the question today is, if a bodhisattva does that, does it hurt them? If they reach in and take out their eyeball, if they cut their head off, does it hurt them? Do they have willpower to overcome the pain? Do they not even feel it? And the answer is that by the time you get to that point where you're called upon to do something like that, there's no pain. It doesn't hurt. If we try to do it now and we're not a high bodhisattva, which I only know who I am, assuming you aren't, by the time you reach that state, your karma is so clean that it doesn't hurt at all. It feels like giving away carrots and potatoes, reaching into your eye socket, pulling out your eyeball and handing it to someone doesn't hurt anymore. It's the same as reaching into the fridge and grabbing an old potato and some carrots and giving it to somebody. And it goes back to the understanding that everything is empty. So the city that we live in, whether we see it as a paradise or a hell, is totally based on our karmic seeds that are coming up. And it's mostly not our major bad deeds that are shaping it, it's these low level, constant little bad karmas that we do all day long. Because we're doing those all the time. Mm -hmm. Like being irritated at people as we walk down the street, or just always, really, 
Like, I'm always irritated at people, all the time. I mean, maybe it doesn't last a long time and go into anger, but there's always little irritations, like constantly, the more you watch your mind. It's kind of amazing that we could be that irritated with people. <laughs> I don't know if other people feel the same way, but I feel like, I feel like most people do. So it's the collection of these tiny negative karmic seeds that prevent us from seeing our world or Sacramento as a paradise. And say we've been a normal person and we're acting like everyone else is acting, low level, bad karma, all day long. Then does Vajrayogini decide at some point, oh, this person's ready and I'm gonna go get that person and bring them to paradise. And no, it doesn't work that way. It's a gradual change in perceptions, which is what changes our reality. So when we get to paradise, it's Sacramento that we see as paradise, and that is paradise when we see it that way. Irritating people start to get less and less as our practice improves, and we look around at all the people who irritate us. We can look at them now and think fondly of them because they're not going to be there that long. They're all going to be gone. The same people may be there, but they won't irritate us at all. And we see this happen all the time. Someone's really annoying, and then at some point they end up being a good friend of ours or something. Or they get another job, or you know, whatever. Or we break up, or whatever it is. To go back, by the time we give our eyeball away, we don't have enough bad karma left to feel the pain. And it's totally fine, no trouble at all to do that. Master Shanti Deva says, don't get discouraged because we can do it by the time we need to do it. And in that, in that same vein, the Buddha prohibited any act of charity that's beyond our capacity, which is kind of comforting. So the Buddha prohibited any act of charity that's beyond our capacity. We're not supposed to do anything beyond our capacity. We're supposed to build up slowly, just like exercising at the gym. We build up slowly to more weights or more reps or more time on the treadmill or whatever it is. And we don't go and give away all our money tomorrow or we don't go and give away our house tomorrow because what will happen is we'll regret it, we'll regret it, we'll feel bad, and we won't like the person we gave it to which is odd, but that's how it happens. So we start slow and steady, and then when our capacity gets bigger, then we can give more. So it's real, it should be really reassuring because we're not supposed to go any higher than what we can do. And that'll always be shifting, but we're not supposed to go past our capacity. So it's never gonna be some terrible thing. And by the time we get up to the point where we could give away parts of our body, it won't be a terrible thing then either. Because we're still not supposed to go past our, our capacity. What about those parents or, you know, um, that toddler children, you know, you need to share this or go give this to them. You know, those take, and you're, for, you're forcing someone else to give more, you know, in that way. Is that kind of, like, 
Well, I think as far as like Buddhism and Bodhisattva activity, you're not supposed to go more than your capacity. But I don't think that those kids who are being forced to share, I don't think that's past their capacity. I think they all have it. They're just like, the parents are just trying to get a different habit ingrained in them. So they might not want to, <laughs> and we might not always want to, but it doesn't mean it's past our capacity, you know? So we kind of just have to navigate it as it comes up, I think. Yeah. And then so we just like if it's if it's not something too big then I think we just do it and if it was too much then we know and we don't we don't push it to that point again for a while, you know? So sometimes we'll overdo it. But definitely not to overdo it too far. You know, like we'll overdo it a little cuz we're kind of pushing the envelope. So maybe we give $10 instead of 5 but we don't give 500 you know, because that's going to be, like, too much. And then, and then he talks about throwing ourselves in front of a car to save someone, that at a certain point we won't hesitate to do that, and it won't hurt at all. Our karma will be so clean by then, is what, what we were saying earlier. There's two sources of all pain, and if we understand these sources, we'll understand that for a high-level bodhisattva, they won't feel pain anymore. And now Master Shantideva goes on to talk about the two things that cause all pain. And if we do have these two, we'll always be in pain. Okay, the two sources of all pain say gung suck, gee duck, dong duck here, shen pa. So that is to believe in a self existent me or mine. To believe anything about me or my parts, my mind, mental functions, physical body, etc. To believe that is one of the two sources of all physical and mental pain. So to believe that they're self-existent. And this is a clue why high bodhisattvas don't have a problem cutting off their arm for someone. Because they don't have this thing that causes all the physical and mental pains. And because they don't have this, they don't have suffering. And then the higher you go in the Bodhisattva Bhumis, your inborn tendency to see things as self-existent gets less and less and less. Basically, if we don't have ignorance, we can't commit a bad deed, and we can't have a mental affliction. So no bad deeds, no mental afflictions at all. If we don't have either of these, believing the self-existent me or mine, we can't have suffering. And then number two, say, Sokchu. Sokchu. 
Soki. Soki. Dikpa. Okay, killing, etc. So this is killing any living being, basically doing any bad deeds at all. Hurting any living being, including ourselves. Ignorance and bad deeds cause all of our mental and physical suffering. Even if a bodhisattva wanted to feel pain, they couldn't. And Master Shantideva is on the subject of why it doesn't bother a bodhisattva to do these extreme things. Which is why we shouldn't feel discouraged when we see bodhisattvas doing this. Because once we're at that point, we'll be doing the same thing. If we want to stop getting sick or being unhappy, we have to eliminate ignorance and immoral thoughts and deeds. And really everything, everything that happens to us, um, depression, illness, things we don't want coming to us, things we do want leaving, everything. All of it comes or goes because of the negative seeds that we've planted based on these two sufferings. So if we get sick and we go to a doctor and it doesn't work, whatever they prescribe, it's because we didn't stop these two things. If we go to a doctor and it does work, it's because we stopped these two things. We planted those seeds at some point. If it was based on what we ate or how much we slept, then if we ate really well, we would always be healthy. If that was the source of it. If that was the source of health, eating good, eating good things for our body, then if we ate good things for our body, we would never get sick. So really, we just have to work on our mind, and we'll be healthier and healthier. Our body will feel better and better. So if anything works, it's because of our projections caused by our own good karma. And if it doesn't, it's because of our bad karma. So everything that happens is because of our karma. So medicine as well, it's not self-existent. It works sometimes, it doesn't work other times. It works for a while, it stops working doesn't work and then it works so we have to fight our vision of things as self-existent study emptiness carefully meditate on it and then we'll start to become healthier and healthier our mind will become more and more pure and taken to an extreme our body and mind will transform and then we won't have any health problems at all and Master Shantideva says, by the way, this always works. Things that aren't the real causes don't always work, and that's why people argue about them. That's why everyone has a different idea of what you should do. 
because they're all false causes. None of them are really the answer. So if we try it just for six months to stop hurting other people, stop thinking bad thoughts, if we work to understand emptiness, it'll profoundly affect our body. And in the higher teachings, there's a profound effect or connection between how you see the world and the health of your body. And we're not going to talk about that here, um, but just dropping it in there, as Geshe Michael did. Yeah. I mean, in the relative world where we are now, there is a connection, it seems, between, like, when I eat healthier, I feel better. But that's karma, too. But it's not the cause. So it doesn't mean that we stop doing things, but yeah. In theory, none of those things are what is causing the health. It's taking care of other people. Okay. Now we're on to the four forces that support joyful effort. Number one, say Mupe Tob. Mupe Tob. Mupe Tob. This is will force, or the force of willpower. We have a, an extreme desire to practice well, like determining, I will learn about karma. Something like that. In Buddhism, does it mean you can willpower pain away? No, if you have the two sources we talked about, you cannot avoid pain. So will here is basically when you start to get an inkling of the tremendous energy behind karma and what it means. You can develop this instinct of how powerful karma is and we can understand anger for a moment erases millions of years of good karma. Then you get mupetob. You want to know what to do and learn the right things to do so you don't wipe out all the effort that you made. And it took the Buddha 50 years to teach morality, so it's going to take us a while to learn it and to know what to do and what not to do. The second one, say ten pay tobe. Ten pay tobe. Ten pay tobe. And this is the force of steadfastness. Being steady as a rock. So we decide what we're going to do with our life, which is slowly leaking away and we're wasting it on career and entertainment, clothing, shopping, you know, whatever, food. We have really limited hours in our life, especially working 50 out of 52 weeks for food is insane in the American culture. It's insane. It's crazy. We work 97% of the time to get to do what we want 3% of the time. 
And I really see this, like, it really annoys me, and I couldn't quite put my finger on it. But my coworkers, some of them are always like, almost another day gone. Almost, oh, it's Monday. Oh, it's almost Friday. Oh, then it's going to be Monday. And, like, that's your, that's your whole life. One day you're just going to be dead, and all these days you've wasted just waiting for them to end. So in this system, we don't have any time. We struggle to find an hour, you know, in, this, in the way that the American culture is set up. We struggle to find an hour in the morning, an hour at night. Our energy's leaking away, too. A year from now, we won't have as much energy as we do today. And so we investigate, before we start a new project, whether we can complete it. And if so, then once we start, we finish it with steadfast effort. So we think carefully what we want to do with our time, study whether we have the resources to finish a project, even if it's virtuous. Not starting in the first place is great compared to starting and then giving up. And then once we start it, never stop like a mad dog until the end we die or we or we finished. So we have to have that willpower once we undertake a virtuous activity that we would die before we stopped. And so we take a good look at it before we start to know if we if we can do that. Number three, say say Tob. Gawe Tob. The force of total delight in practice. Being completely engrossed in our work. Like a child who is really into a video game or a movie, but we're so into our good deeds and our practice. We love it so much and enjoy it. It's like getting an ice cream sundae or something. We're so excited. We refuse to take a break, and we have such a good time with our practice that we don't want to stop. And then once we finish one thing, we want to go into the next. And it's interesting because the bodhisattva ideal is busy. And there's a conflict between Hinayana and Mahayana because Hinayana says, go sit in a monastery and meditate. And then Mahayana says, go help people all the time. And does that mean that Mahayana doesn't sit and meditate? No, it doesn't. But we have to be, we do that as well, but we have to be insatiable and have a big bodhisattva appetite. So we can't get enough, and we want to keep making up new things to do for people, um, assuming we can handle it. If we can't, then we have to rest. And as we were talking about, we're prohibited from doing more than we can. Okay, and then we never let up until number four, say doorway tope. Doorway tope. Doorway tope. And that's force of leaving off. As a bodhisattva, we have a responsibility and a duty to know when we're tired, to know when we need a break, when we need to rest. 
we're physically or mentally tired out. And to rest when the time comes and to be able to do it wisely is a really great thing to do. Take a good refreshing rest and then get right back to work when you're done. And there's a lot of people who push themselves too hard in their dharma and then they end up quitting. Some people go totally gung-ho and they tire themselves out and then they quit. You never see them again. A bodhisattva knows, okay, I'm tired. Maybe I better go home early tonight and sleep. It's wiser for me to do that because I'll be a better bodhisattva for people tomorrow. It's to know when to take our rest. And Master Shanti Deva says, by the way, go take a rest, and then you better get back up and get back to work. <laughs> you better jump out of bed and go back to your dharma after you relax the right amount of time. So don't go, not going overboard with it. Dorje Gyanse Du. Dorje Gyanse Du. Diamond Victory Banner Sutra. Victory Banner um, is in the old days when someone beats another country, they take a banner and march around the city saying, We beat you. And Master Shanti Deva says that we should act like this. When, we, when we're finishing our good activities, to get closure on our good activities. So it's like we have this victory banner. We're so happy, we're proud we did this, and we're you know, waving it high, showing everybody. translates to I king which I think is really great which means pride in this case it means confidence or courage it can also mean ignorant arrogance the more powerful our deeds get dangerous major obstacles will happen physical things will happen things in your group things in your dharma group you can count on negative things happening Nagyal says, I don't care. I'm just going to take it to the end. I'm going to be tough. This sutra describes an analogy where a bodhisattva is like the sun rising in the east and traveling its course across the sky throughout the day and shining indiscriminately on all beings. And as they're doing that, some of the beings are totally blind and they don't see anything. Some of them are blocked by tall buildings and they only see shadows. And then some with really good karma are basking in the rays of the sun. And the blind guy says, I don't see anything. The guy with the buildings blocking the sun, he's standing in a bad place. Is it the sun's fault that he's not getting the rays? The sun's nature is to shine. It doesn't discriminate. The guy standing in the middle of the park gets the sun rays all day long. 
bodhisattvas are always shining and doing these things. And the point of this analogy is that others may not see or appreciate your bodhisattva deeds due to their karma, but you must continually practice with the wish regardless of others' reactions, which reflects reflect their karma, not your goodness. So it doesn't matter what other people are doing. I think this is a hard one. Because we want recognition, we want we want people going the same way as we are, you know, like we want to be included. But part of part of the path I think we talk about this later today, is that not everybody's going to be ready to do the same thing, and we're not going to sit around and wait for them to be ready. We're going to get everything done. Because we have to, to be able to help all beings, including ourselves. And some people won't get it at all, and they'll say that we're naive or we're crazy. Maybe they'll even get angry at us. And it's because of a problem with them that the sunlight won't touch them, but the bodhisattva's nature is just to shine. It doesn't matter. The sun doesn't feel bad that somebody down there can't see me. doesn't say, you know, I feel so bad, maybe I should quit. The bodhisattvas just shine and they recognize that a certain percentage of people just won't get it at all. Most people, I think, seem not to. And then whoever's ready to receive those teachings, they'll get the sunlight. Not getting discouraged by those who can't, who just don't have the karma to see it. So bodhisattvas think, if I have to, I'll save other beings all by myself. This is my confidence. Doesn't matter if anyone else helps me. It doesn't matter if they try to stop me. I'm going to do this no matter what. Period. So if we see, or when we see something valuable to be done, which will get us to enlightenment, we determine to do it no matter what anyone says. And if no one else ever helps us at all, we don't care. Or even if they cause us trouble or try to block us, it's okay because according to all I've learned, I know this is the right thing to do. And we'll have to separate from the world and do it, despite others' criticism. Our Dharma practice has to be the same. There'll come a point in our practice where we have to separate from the world and say, look, I know you don't care about these things, but it's necessary to do for enlightenment. And if nobody else wants to go with me, it's okay. I've decided to do it. Geshe uses this example. He used to run, and it dawned on him one day that if he kept waiting for his roommate to wake up and go with him, that he'd never run well. It would never happen. So we realize we have to do it ourselves. We can't wait for other people to help us. We can't wait for other students or the teacher. We have to do it on our own. We just have to have that confidence. And maybe nobody else in the world is even interested in these things. But we must go ahead and do it and have the confidence to stick it out. And the whole world is under the merciless suffering 
of their own mental afflictions. So we cannot be swayed by others' opinions or criticism. Just do what it takes to work for the benefit of all sentient beings. A normal person in samsara, most people we know, they seem to have no clue even how to make themselves happy. So are we going to stand around and wait for those people? No. We'll get on with it. They're not going to help us. They'll probably obstruct us, attack us at some point. And we think if no one wants to help me, that's fine. I'm doing what I've learned from scripture and from my teacher's kindness is the best thing to do and I'll go ahead by myself. And that's it. And there will come a time where we have to make this decision and maybe it's making that decision which gives us the goodness to reach Buddhahood. And at some point, we think, nobody in my whole life, nobody cares about all the things I care about. Nobody in my family, at work, even the Dharma practitioners don't really care enough to devote themselves and put all their effort. So what am I going to do? Wait for them? There's, there's a point where we have to just go ahead. There's certain steps that we have to go through. If we're serious, we have to to get to the top. And there's a whole bunch of people who never go past the first or second step. Some people maybe get halfway. Some people get almost to the top. And then there's some sort of block and they stop and they want to spend the rest of their time doing something that's comfortable and not as virtuous. And there's a whole other Nagyal in the secret teachings. And we have to go for it there too. So not to do this is a lack of compassion. To stop and wait for other people to get these teachings and not do them means that we really don't care about other people. We're expressing a willingness to put up with the suffering of the world. And in the meantime, so many people are dying and those people have plans to practice, they have plans to meditate, they have plans to come to class, and they never did. And there really is, like, the longer, the longer I study, it really, like, all of the worldly things, I know where they lead. Just, you know, the longer you're alive, I know where they're going to lead. They're not going to lead to what I want. It doesn't mean that they're not pleasurable and they, they might come anyways, you know, but they don't lead to what I want. They lead to something that causes more suffering, something that's going to end something that's never as good as I want it to be. You know, like, they just lead to disappointment, really. And practice, when I practice more and more, I, I pretty much always feel better. Unless, you know, I've pushed too hard and then I need to take a break. But still, I feel better. And, like, things shift and things change. And that doesn't come when I spend another eight hours like binge watching the bureau or something <laughs> and it doesn't mean that I don't do that sometimes when I need to rest but I overdo it you know another analogy is given of a dead snake that's attacked by a weak little crow and 
Classically, there's a competition between snakes and Garudas. And Garudas are like a phoenix. It's a mythical bird, and they hate snakes. And they're the king of the birds. They like to attack snakes. They swoop down and kill them in a moment. Master Shanti Deva says, he talks about, you're on this dirt road, and you see a snake, and this crow decides, I'm going to be a Garuda today and attack this snake. And basically the, the message is don't be wimpy. If your confidence is like the dead snake, then it won't take a Garuda to throw you off. A crow can do it. It's like some little small things happen to us and suddenly our whole practice is gone. Like the whole thing. <laughs> so when we lack confidence, we're like a dead snake. We're susceptible to attack by even minor mental afflictions. So we have to get strong and be ready for attacks, which are definitely going to come. Bad times will come, and there isn't anyone who got enlightened without very bad times. The better our practice, probably the worse the fall will be. The bad times will come, so we have to get strong and get ready for it. And at the same time, we don't let the confidence turn into ignorant pride. And then Master Shantideva starts to talk about pride. maybe we could take a break here and we have lots of snacks nice. I know Michael brought snacks oh. um, I brought one snack <laughs>